Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode two of Chris and Co. You are not going to want to miss this episode, because Zoe and I cover the revolution of queer positivity that's coming up in the media. Amanda shows me what our monsters say about our culture, including a vampire story that totally has me shook. Andy and I dissect the new season of Fortnite, the MacBook Pro refresh, and a question, who is the new Microsoft Surface Go actually for? Daniel covers the Thai cave rescue and the subsequent media fallout that's resulted. All that and more on this episode of Chris and Co. It absolutely wouldn't be a pop culture segment without the impending doom of a Amazon Prime now delivery person arriving at your apartment. But welcome back to Pop Culture with Zoe Gold. Hi, Zoe. Hello, hello. So I have to tell the listeners, we started to record this episode and then my Amazon Prime Now order got super close to my apartment. So we were like, okay, let's just wait. But then they didn't come for two hours. So there is in the internet, like almost a two hour episode of us just shooting the breeze and talking about everything under the sun. Oh yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't have time to talk about that because there was so much pop culture stuff that happened since you and I last spoke on last episode of that podcast um starting off with some new music and i think i just want you to kick us off what are you listening to what is new and on your radar uh, oh my gosh okay so 21 pilots is all of their hiatus they are back and they have released two songs they're amazing i'm here for it they're going on tour they were gone for like think a year two years it's been two years yeah since they lost yeah. released music and now they're like back and like surprise here's a tour amazing we'd love I an know. artist to do that oh it's amazing i'm so and here did they say new music was coming or was this kind of like a beyonce drop where is it like out of nowhere it was out of nowhere like oh, that's the best yeah it was wonderful that's excellent so they released two songs jumpsuit and nico and then niners niners yeah and i listened to both and first of all, Jumpsuit is giving me, like, serious, like, Brooklyn bar vibes. Like, we're talking, like, a dark, smoky Williamsburg bar, and I'm a little tipsy and buzzed, and I'm kind of stumbling. But it's, like, that level of, like, grungy that I'm into when I've yes. a couple drinks. Like, I'm here for it. Like, it's not something I would typically gravitate towards. Yeah. But, like that's the kind of music i'm like yes and they're like chris get off the table i'm like yes like (laughs) (laughs) exactly but like i'm here for it and then i have to say the other one um nico and the niners like it's very on brand for them it feels like a culmination of their last album um and some of the other singles they've put out i just feel like it's just it's very 21 pilots yeah it's very like mellow it's easily like something you could just be like kick back it's on you're just straight chilling like it's easy listening we love that yeah Yeah, i mean it's summertime we're all here for like sweet little tracks with easy listening during summer exactly speaking of which i have to delve right into sweetener um we got a little bit of an ariana grande update today um because she dropped a new song god is a woman but before we get into that i just need to talk real quick about what i said on the last episode about the light is coming yes it's grown on me a lot yeah and oh, it's it's same. yeah so it's like definitely a bop yes. um meanwhile i feel like no tears left to cry is like a jam the light is coming is a bop yes and it's it's just you just want to like twerk in the mirror to it oh yeah and it just feels fierce and powerful and i'm, I'm here for it i take back everything i said so god as a woman came out you hadn't listened to it when i brought it up 
Mm-mm. But you've since listened to it. I need to know yes. your thoughts. Because I've been listening to it literally all day. I love it. It's so good, right? It's Yeah. So, okay. So you have No Tears Left to Cry. Mm-hmm. That's a jam. Yes. Okay. Then you have The Light is Coming. Yes. Thank you. I can't yeah, think no of worries. words I anymore. Too. <laughs> okay. So that's a bob. And then you have God is a Woman. That's a that's an anthem. That's it, a bad Oh my god, that's it's, the word I was gonna use. Anthem. It's so good. It's so good. So good. And it's just like sexy and powerful. And so Ariana talked a little bit about this on Jimmy Fallon. The, um, I, I want to say back in May, and said that it was her grandmother's favorite song. And so like when she saw that, I was de- I definitely thought it was oh. gonna be like a ballad. Yeah. And thought it was gonna be like slower, sultry vocals. No, this is like a pop song. Mm-hmm. but it's so good and it's so and so these three we've got three singles now i think it's like a 16 track album mm-hmm. um slated for august my b-day month <laughs> um and i have to say that these three tracks have shown me the connection that i think is going to weave throughout the album because now i'm not just listening to god as a woman i'm listening to that and the other songs like in a row it feels like a package now Yes. And it's made me so much more excited for the album. Oh, I know. I cannot wait. Ariana is definitely not anywhere near done with us yet. She is ready to steal all of our wigs. Oh, yeah. We're all going to be bald by the end of the year. Yeah. Speaking of other things that um, are totally snatching my wig lately. So I wanted to point you towards Leland because I feel like Leland is something that's like happening in my circles, but not happening in pop culture circles. But Leland's great. So I sent you a couple songs to listen to, and I want to know what you think. And then we can jump into a little bit of like, who is Leland? Where did he come from? Why is he so good at this pop culture game? Yeah, no. So I had never heard of him before. Like, absolutely not. Like, was not even on my radar. Had no clue. When you told me that, I was like, what is he talking about? Yeah. (laughs) But after listening, like, it's, oh my, he's, first of all, phenomenal artist. So good. So good. And it's like, it's the perfect kind of music to listen to now like mm-hmm. it's easy you're just you're cruising around with your friends like you're just yes. like, you're out you're literally like you could just be hanging out like outside or in your room just like chill like just it's very chill vibes yeah and i love it so he has two singles out right now so it's mattress and run into you yes and so here's how he got his start this is why he's suddenly out of the gate so he's been producing music. So he's been making um, all the songs on Troy Sivan's new album, Bloom. Oh, wow. He co-wrote all of them, and they've all been bops. Oh, yeah. And he also has done a lot of music for Charlie XCX, who we love. Ooh. He does the music for Drag Race. <gasps> and then on top of that, he's just like a positive queer voice in the lgbt community who's making banging music oh my gosh and i just love that about him you honestly learn something every day right oh my gosh but i just i feel like the listeners need to know that he exists like basically kids put down your pencils it's time to go listen to leland because he's gonna be doing great things and i think he's like one to watch no yeah honestly if you're ever just like you know hanging out just want to chill out like have a great time throw him on yeah, it's like a given. Like I, yeah. I'm so excited to see what's in store because he's basically just released these like couple little singles, and we don't have like an album. And I don't, at least that I've seen, he hasn't talked about like a project or anything major like that yet. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see like what's coming next from him. Mm, me too. 
anything else on the music scope we need to cover? I think that that's like everything that's come out recently. Yeah. All right. So I have some updates on Ooh, Canacon. Yes. <gasps> yes. And I know you love to talk about your YouTube drama. So yes. I believe you also have watched Shane Dawson's three-part series, Talking to Tana and the guy who runs... Um, Michael. Yeah, Michael. Yes. So did you watch the series? Of course. Okay, great. Because they were, like, long, but I stayed up to, like, 5 a.m. watching it one night. Oh, yeah. This is fascinating. I, I don't want to taint your, your response to this. So what did you take away? Because I definitely had some takeaways. So, obviously, from everything that I've seen, obviously, they're both to blame for it. Mm-hmm. That's, like, hands down. Like, you can't say that it was just Michael or it was just Tan. Like, they're Absolutely. both at fault. Yeah. But from, like, the footage, like, the fact that he was like, oh, I'm making this into a documentary. Like, I'm taking all of your footage. Yeah. To Hunter is a little sketchy to begin with. And then when Tana at the end was, like, showing her footage where she's literally walking around with him. Mm-hmm. And she goes, and, like, because Tana doesn't know how many people 5,000 people is. Mm-hmm. So she's going, oh, yeah, so this is going to be the stage, okay, and this is going to be the standing room, this is going to be big enough for everybody, right? And she's making sure that Michael is triple-checking things. Yeah. And, like, so you can't, like, Michael going on there and saying, oh, well, Tana was, like, never there, she didn't do anything. Like, clearly she was there. She was making sure. My other note now on this is, because we didn't hear anything from Jordan, who is Tana's manager. Oh, I didn't know about this. Yeah, so Tana has a manager. His name's Jordan. Tana's gone on tours before. He, like, sets everything up. He, like, helps with all mm-hmm. that. Where the hell is he? Mm-hmm. Where was Jordan? That's yeah. what I want to know. Because I feel like Jordan's worked with Tana for, like, I want to say it's been, like, two, three years now that they've worked together. So you'd think by then you'd know Tana. Like, you mm-hmm. know what she's capable of doing. I've been watching Tana for like a year and I know there's no way that she was capable of planning a convention mm-hmm. in three months. Where was her grown manager to tell her, like, listen, maybe this isn't a good idea. Yeah. That's the only thing I wish I knew more about. My takeaway is I think they're both, they both understand that they're equally at fault, but Michael to me still is sketchy. So when I watched it, that was my initial takeaway. I was like, okay, Michael's super sketchy. They're both definitely at fault and they both feel at fault. But since then, I've I've rewatched some of the clips from it and some of the footage from planning Tanacon, right? Yeah. And the one that really sticks for me is the footage of them talking about the venue size, because that's really the issue with Tanacon. It was the venue size. That's yeah. really where things hit the road. And for me, it's Michael sitting there and going, All right, so hey, Tana, I put up 5,000 tickets. They're telling us only a thousand people fit in the space. You're cool with that, right? Do you want me to lower it to 3,500 or a thousand? And Tana goes, no, let's leave it at 5,000. Why would we do that? People love to wait outside. Yeah. And that's where I was like, oh, okay. So the biggest problem with TanaCon was something that you premeditated, basically. See, when I was watching, because then... At the end, they talk about how, like, Jane goes back and, like, figures out how many, like, VIP tickets they sold Mm -hmm. and how many free tickets they quote-unquote sold. Yeah. They sold over, I think it was over 5,200 VIP tickets, which is ridiculous because even, like, even in those clips where they're, like, talking about, and Tana's like, yeah, people love waiting outside. Yeah. She's still saying that, like, if you, like, because there's a few, like, clips in there where they're talking about like how many tickets to sell Mm -hmm. and she's telling him only sell maybe like 
500 VIP tickets. The rest will be free. See, or only sell 1,000 VIP tickets. The rest will be free. Yeah. And so it was like, okay, people are going to be waiting outside. Mm-hmm. But the way that, because when you listen to her try to explain, like, how she envisioned it, mm-hmm. yes, she wanted people outside waiting. But she also thought there was going to be, like, a VIP line and, like, several lines for the free tickets. And people were going to be, like, in and out, like, all day kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Not like a people come in, the people stay in, and it's one line to get your ticket. Doesn't matter if you're VIP or whatever. Yeah. There's no free. They only sold a hundred free tickets. It was like mm-hmm. 130 free tickets. So it's one giant line of people waiting. There was 20, I think, I think it ended up being 20 security guards for the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And most of the time they said it was like five at a time, which is ridiculous. Yeah. That's insane. In Tana saying, oh, yeah, well, we'll oversell a little bit. So that way there's people waiting. But she also knew she was right down the street from BidCon. From and BidCon, I, think she's, yeah. I think she says something about it, like, thinking that, like, oh, well, they'll just, like, you know, come inside when they, like, to meet their, like, one, Absolutely. One creators they want to. And then they're, they're going to end up going to BidCon. Like, she's like, yeah. I understand yeah. that. So I think in her mind, she's like, oh, people will be waiting outside, but it'll be like an hour maybe. Yeah. So I don't I, think she meant it maliciously. I think what really opened my eyes, though, on the documentary, though, is like how many people spent thousands of dollars to go see the creators just at TanaCon. Yeah. And that suffered, you know what, let's drum up some hype, let's sell more than we've got. And I think her initial response is like, oh, I didn't know. Like, she knew. And I think maybe she didn't realize the severity of it, but she knew. And yeah. I just, I feel like I don't want to see the kind of the storm end for her in the sense that I do think somebody needs to step up and refund the people their tickets because so far there's been no conversation on refunds for people well, who bought tickets. Well, no. So what happens is there's a clause in the contract that they like everybody signed. Mm-hmm. If something goes wrong and this this thing is canceled, yeah, Good Times Live will refund every single customer, mm-hmm. and that's all just Michael yeah yeah no and i know that but i just mean the fact that i think it comes down to like tana has to be responsible too and i think when we really look at it like tana out of the two that was the only one that's making like good money from youtube yeah like michael's i I don't want to say the word nobody but like nobody really knew who he was before this so i think that's where it really comes into play like all right tana now it's time to put your money where your mouth is and like help with this yeah because you were part of this too sister yeah i see that so that that's my little update is this was way more malicious than i thought it was initially yeah speaking of shane dawson he did a great little documentary surprising his mom with a trip to kathy griffin's house oh yes it was so cute listen i cried so many times so i've watched shane dawson since I can remember. It's probably been, you know, he was maybe on YouTube for like a year when I started watching him. Okay. So it's been pretty much forever. And I like have seen like videos of Teresa talking about how much she loves Kathy. And like, just, I, it's just so cute to finally like her just crying and like breaking down when she realized that's where she was. Yeah. Like, it's just the sweetest thing ever. And I, I don't know. Have you read either of his books? No, I haven't, but I should because so far the YouTubers books that I've read have been very good. Yeah, no, his it's like a collection. So he has two books. Um, I hate my selfie and then it gets worse. And they're both like collections of essays. Okay. And like he always talks about like how his mom and him would like 
sit down and like watch TV and hang out together. And like, yeah. he's like brought Kathy up in his books before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so, like, like, Kathy Griffin has been his inspiration. Yeah. And so, like, everybody knows that like he loves Kathy Griffin. His mm-hmm. mom loves Kathy Griffin. And the fact that he was like able to do this and like surprise her with it is just the cutest thing ever. Yeah. And the only reason I even brought it up for today's podcast is just because like, we need more things like this. I love it when people do good things with their platform. Oh, both yeah. with Kathy for having them over, but also like Shane for just doing nice things for his mom. I didn't know that's like an ongoing thing that he does. And it's just, oh, yeah. we need more of that positivity in the world. So if that interests you guys, go find it, watch it. It's like, I think it's like a half hour, but it's, oh, it's, a like, half... it's like 50 minutes. Okay. It's like 50 yeah. minutes, <laughs> but it's like 50 minutes of just like good, positive Pure energy joy. in the world yeah. that we need more of. Yes. So, speaking of positive energy and good in the world, I have a little surprise for you. You Uh, might already know this, but this news broke as we were talking, so you might not. Oh, no. Okay. But, Queer Eye got renewed for season three. Oh, no! Oh, my God. Did you hear where they're going, though? No. Okay. So, you know how they're, they're like, I guess, like, hub, little area. They stay in, like, the Atlanta area. Yeah. Yeah. They have the, the loft in Atlanta. Mm-hmm, mm-mm, not no more. They're moving to Kansas City. Oh. Yeah. I was hoping they would do a move up. I was like, I'm tired of bopping around Georgia. Yeah. So now we're going to be in Kansas City's in Kansas, I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's like one of, it's in, Can- isn't it in Kansas and Missouri? I think there is one in, yeah. Yeah. Watch, we're going to look like such idiots, but I sure. know. Don't roast me on the internet, please. <laughs> but um, no, so they're moving there. And I think it's like, that's going to be refreshing because you're going to have like these little like Midwestern, like country bumpkins. It's going to be so nice. I'm so here for it. Mm-hmm. But oh, All right. I, I fact checked us because I kept yeah. wanting to say Kansas City, Missouri. And I was like, but then when you're like, it's in Kansas, I was like, that makes more sense. Yes, you're right. It's right on the state line. So part of it is, is in, in Missouri. Is in Missouri and part of it's in Kansas. Yes. What's so smart? We knew what we were talking about. I'm so proud of this. <laughs> Thanks, Internet. Thanks for confirming our beliefs. But I just yeah. saw that. And I was just like, yes, like we need more of this. Like despite all the nonsense happening in the media and in politics and just in the world, like we just need more queer energy. Like Leland bringing the queer music. We yeah. got Queer Eye doing their thing. Ariana is, a, you know, obviously an ally. Like, yeah, she's releasing great music. And I just, I'm here for it. Honestly, I'm here thanks. for the energy the LGBT community is bringing into the world. I know. Well, thank you so much. Oh, and I'm so excited to talk to you next week. Oh, I know. For a we whole did. new segment of pop culture. I know. Who knows what's going to happen? And we landed at 20 minutes. We didn't do too bad. <gasps> Yay, look at us. That's if you don't count the other 70 minutes that we talked before this <laughs> and got all of our energy out. <laughs> Whoops. All right, Zoe, I will talk to you next week. All right, sounds good. Bye. Bye. Hi, welcome back to the podcast, Amanda. Hello, and hello, world. I know, isn't it great to be back? (laughs) So great. Just back in the swing of things. Yes, exactly. Well, before we get started, I have to give you a quick shout out for doing all of our social media. You're doing such an amazing job. Thanks. Before we got on, I was looking at all of our like awesome posts and stuff like that. And I was just like... Our Instagram looks great. <laughs> so I guys... still got to get on the whole Facebook thing. Yeah. But Instagram's my jam. Instagram's everybody's jam right now. I feel like Instagram is doing That's the so most right now. Oh, for sure. And it's also the happiest. Yes, definitely. 
which I think is a whole other segment, actually. Let's talk about Instagram. Ooh, put that down in your notes, because we're going to have to come back to that. <laughs> okay, we'll do. <laughs> However, Sounds I will give good. us a quick plug. If you guys want to follow us on Instagram, get a recap on a lot of our great topics, and learn more about the hosts, follow us at Chris and Co. Podcast. Exactly. Awesome. So what do you got for me this week? I love this segment, because we can literally talk about whatever the f- we want. Absolutely. But world culture is just kind of like literally whatever yeah. we want to talk about. <laughs> so I think this topic is uh, pretty random, but it's very near and dear to my heart. So I want to talk to you about monsters. Ooh. Specifically, I want to talk about vampires, werewolves, zombies. Okay. Are you ready? I this? am. And it's so funny. This is the topic that we're okay. talking about because <laughs> I feel like with our relationship specifically, like I first kind of knew you as like the Twilight girl. <laughs> yes yes i've i started as the started as... like that was the beginning of the inception of Amanda. yes absolutely <laughs> i i don't like sparkly vampires anymore but i'm still all about all about the vampires amazing yeah so let's okay. talk about them okay so basically i want to talk about like uh the myth and then also the differences between them and kind of like even the philosophical background behind all Ooh, i didn't even know the but... philosophical background to monsters and zombies uh, always yes i mean i got a philosophy major so i i put you know philosophy yeah I mean, you gotta everything. get your money's worth but <laughs> yeah not making money on a philosophy major any other way so <laughs> here we go um okay so vampires okay. i'm gonna start with so um i'm gonna start this segment by saying i believe in vampires okay. i don't know if you know that about me like i legitimately believe in vampires but i want to know why okay because all right good yeah like there's a reason. Yeah. Okay. So it's actually super interesting. Like you can trace the, you, you can't even trace the beginning of the folklore of vampires. Like you can't trace where vampires were first mm-hmm. talked about. And cultures all across the entire globe have ancient folklore about vampires. So like there's Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian folklore for vampires, Hebrew, uh, ancient Greek. There's ancient Chinese vampires or folklore about vampires. There's uh, Indonesian, Southeast Asian, even uh, like native cultures across Mm -hmm. like Africa and the Americas. Like everyone has some sort of like immortal, undead, blood drinking monster in their folklore. And the thing is like these cultures couldn't even communicate with each other. So they couldn't make these stories and have them spread across these cultures. Like these stories had to have started from somewhere in each of these cultures. Yeah, you know it's I mean? really interesting because when I think of vampires, like, obviously, besides Twilight, you think of, like, Dracula. And you think of Dracula as this, right. like, kind of public domain story. Like, I know a lot of the Disney movies and cartoons and stuff like that are based off of, like, public domain, ca- like, stories. And it's just Disney's interpretation mm-hmm. of those. And so when I think of Dracula, I just think of it's just, like, mm-hmm. one of those, like, classics that's just a public domain story. So I didn't know that there was, like, even, like, right. a history behind vampires other than that. Yes, there absolutely is. And it's so interesting because, like, we'll get to this, but werewolves and zombies, you can actually pinpoint the time when they started, like, the inception of oh. them, you know what I mean? Like, the first time they were talked about in mm-hmm. culture, but vampires, you can't. Which is so interesting. And, and yeah, you bring up Dracula. Like, that's the most, the, that's the most popular vampire, and that was, that book was published in, um, in 1897. Okay. And before that, so, obviously, like, there's all this folklore, and I can't even go into them. There's, like, 
crazy names for all these vampires and and stuff like that. But um, one of the most famous was in 1400. That was Vlad Dracula, the Impaler is what they called him because he was a serial killer who impaled his um, his victims with stakes through the heart. So that's kind of where that came Mm -hmm. from. And Dracula was like kind of mixed from this Vlad the Impaler person. And from all of these myths of vampires and drinking blood and etc. So it was like kind of meshed sure. together. Um, so that's how vi- that's how Dracula was Now, born. is it possible that like, let's say Vlad, obviously, let's say he's a real person, like back in the day, like, could he have just been a cannibal? Or is there like more to the legend? Yeah, so that? I don't think Vlad, I, me personally, I do not think Vlad the Impaler was a vampire. I think it was just um, he was he was in Transylvania. He was a serial killer. His name was Vlad Dracula, and he was the uh, inspiration for Dracula the Vampire. Do you Got know what it. I mean? Like he was the, this man was the inspiration for the fiction vampire that we all have come to like know and love. Okay. Um, so that's kind of like a little bit of the background of Dracula itself. But before that, there's all these different folklores of all these different vampires. So so there's Vlad the Impaler, mm-hmm. right? And then I'm going to talk about two other people that um, people think were vampires. So there's Mercy okay. Brown. Her entire family was dying for, from tuberculosis, and she wasn't. Her body was not decaying. Oh. The rest of her family's was. So she was burned at the stake because people thought that she was wow. immortal and thought she must be a vampire. So that's like, they literally thought she must be a vampire. Like those words in 1800s. Okay, this is my favorite. So Count St. Germain mm-hmm. was a vampire that people, well, <laughs> they think he was a vampire. So he was around Europe in the 1700s, okay. right? Throughout the 1700s, he was just, he was seen, um, he was like a high roller and he was a painter and a violinist and he knew 11 languages and like um, he never seemed to age and he would make jokes about being 100 years old oh. and um, he would go to these parties and he would never eat the food, but he would drink wine. Interesting. And Yeah. So actually, Voltaire, who is an 18th century mm-hmm. philosopher, he he literally has a quote about Saint Germain, and that quote translates to "a man who never dies and who knows everything." Wow, that's so kind of interesting. Well, that <laughs> so that makes me think of. Have you ever seen those pictures of Keanu Reeves? Like, there are these, like, 1800s pictures of, like, this guy that looks exactly like Keanu Reeves, the actor from The Matrix. Oh, And so part of me is a little, yeah, like, I think I have. is he also a vampire? <laughs> it could be. You never know. You never know. So this is where I get to America. So uh, in the 1900s, then, someone shows up in New Orleans and his name is Jacques Germain. And he says that he's a descendant of Count Saint Germain. And he introduces himself into New Orleans society. This is literally like documented in police records yeah. in New Orleans. Okay. He introduces him into the society by throwing a, a party. And it's noted at the party that he doesn't eat. He just drinks wine. And so um, a few weeks later, he hadn't been in New Orleans for very long. He takes a woman into his home and this woman actually is found screaming on the ground with broken legs because she had just jumped from the second floor of his home and they ask her what happened and she said that he attacked her and tried to viciously bite her neck 
So again, this is documented by the police in New Orleans. Um, they go to mm-hmm. Jacques and they question him that night. And he says that she was drinking and they listen to him because he's a man, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and um, so they were like, okay, fine. But come down the next day to the station and give a formal sure. statement. He, he doesn't. He disappears. Cool. It's 1903. He totally disappears. They search his home and they document that they found blood stains everywhere. Basically everywhere. There's a lot of blood stains. They found absolutely no food in his home. No plates or utensils. And they find what they think is red wine. But they end up finding out that it's blood and wine mixed together. Amanda, I'm shook right now. <laughs> You just made yeah. me a believer, but like I'm shook right now that this happened. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. Yeah. And you can actually like go visit his home and I wanna go. It's like we gotta go now. Yeah. So um and then there's legends of this guy like all throughout uh meeting like Mary Queen of Scots and like even attending the the wedding where Jesus turns the water into wine. Like <laughs> There are these like crazy stories of him like just appearing all throughout history, but um, that's the one. But these are the ones that are like yeah, documented. documented. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So if you had to guess, yeah, where is he now? What's he doing? (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) I'd be chilling on a beach somewhere, laying low. Yeah, probably. He's probably just laying low, enjoying some wine mixed with blood, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. So that's basically the background um, as to why I believe in vampires. Um, and then also, I, I went through all that because I just wanted to, like, specify that there is no beginning to the folklore mm-hmm. of vampires. Like, uh, that's, that's important, especially to get where but we're like, going. But, like, that can be, that can be podcast. like, the whole episode because I'm shook right now. So I'm super excited to see what, <laughs> what else you've got for me. <laughs> that is, I was very excited to tell you all about that. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. And like I said... You can you can see where werewolves, the next monster, were first talked about in uh, mm-hmm. history. There are like some sort of like in Greek mythology. There's like a woman turns her lover into a wolf, things like that. Um, but the first time it really appears is in the 1500s in France. Basically, that's the first time you see the mention of werewolves because two men actually said that they were werewolves. They literally, I, I forget their names, I could find them, but um, there were two men that literally claimed they were werewolves, explained what a werewolf was, and then were burned at the stake. Oh, so, so like, <laughs> that could have been, like, a really bad party trick gone wrong. Like, yeah, hey guys, exactly. we're werewolves. Oh, you don't know what that is? Um, basically, <laughs> I turn into a wolf. Oh, you're tying me up now. Well, we're this is die. not where I just thought I was going to impress you. Maybe get a free drink and then bounce. Like this is like a cat. Superstition is crazy though. There's so much of it. It's just so interesting that we don't quite have it to that extent. <laughs> that's anymore. crazy. Yeah. So that's really all I have to say about werewolves. To be honest, I mean, the werewolves were better than the vampires in Twilight. <laughs> but other than that, but like, <laughs> how did we get here? Like, how do we get so obsessed with these things? Uh, that's, I mean, that's a good question. Like, vampires, that's just been throughout all of history, really. I don't know where werewolves seem to like take and spread like wildfire because that's all, you know, they're in Harry Potter mm-hmm. now, too. And movies all about it. Being Human is a great show about a, a vampire and a werewolf. And is there um, a reason? It's okay if like there's not or you don't know, but like why are they always seem like why does it seem like they're always together? Like what is the that's a good question too. of vampires and werewolves? Really good question. I would have to think about that one. 
maybe we're just obsessed with it we're like oh what monster can we stick against it yeah it's really interesting so how do zombies play into all this okay so this is this is my favorite part so i love vampires but i also really love zombies and i love zombies specifically because there's a lot more philosophical background behind zombies than there are behind the other two monsters aside from like why does our society really like them now (laughs) like you Mm -hmm. brought up our society did not create them whereas with zombies our society did create them the first time zombies were ever introduced mm-hmm. was in um, 1928. Yes. So much more recently than werewolves and So they're vampires. like new school. Yes, exactly. So um, that movie, it was called White Zombie. It was the first time the word zombie was used. It was about a voodoo priestess who basically creates zombies, et cetera, et cetera. I haven't seen it. I don't know much else other than that. But um, zombies don't really take like, uh, you know, they don't get super popular until 1968. That's when Night of the Living Dead came out. And that's like basically like the zombie movie, like the classic gotcha. zombie movie. They like started. So there it is off. like a pinnacle Again, zombie. Haven't seen zombie. it. I feel bad. Yes, and it's Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. So that's 1968. So basically, what I like to say is that means that zombies are a postmodern monster. Ooh. We we created zombies in this postmodern era, and it's really interesting because like I don't know how much you know of like postmodernity versus modernity. Should I talk sure, about that? Because I don't know what <laughs> okay. any of that means. okay great (laughs) so like postmodernism is is the time we're living in now um according to some philosopher somewhere who decided that that was what it was and they coined that term and and that's where we are right now it's basically like i mean once you know the definition of postmodernism you see it everywhere um but basically it's like the idea it's like the rejection of an objective truth or an objective reality or an objective morality you know it's just like um these things are subjective according to the individual um it's the idea of like universalism it's a rejection of like uh, like the meta narratives of like honestly like christianity in a sense like um the judeo-christian religions where like uh they kind of ruled the modern Mm -hmm. era the judeo-christian religions did and it was the idea of like this is the one yeah. truth. And po- post-modernity is a rejection Interesting. of that. Yes. So anyway, all of that to say, that's where we're living now. We're in postmodernism, And we have created zombies. They haven't existed until 1968. Uh, we could, you know, tell me what you think zombies might, how it might reflect our, our modern. Um, so I was thinking about this as you were talking about, I was like, oh, like, well, like, why did we create this? idea and i think it's a little bit of two things so my first thought was like all right what's going on around this time and that's world war ii like there's nuclear science happening with radiation and there's a lot of talk about like what's Mm. happening to our bodies as a result and like obviously we did drop a nuclear bomb on a country um Mm -hmm. and so i'm sure that's a lot of conversations like you had radioactive shelters become really popular in that time as well as you know things like three mile island which was a nuclear incident in pennsylvania so i think that but then also that time was very much a kind of free-spirited revolution where they were kind of breaking free of like the suit and tie lifestyle and so i think it's Mm -hmm. also a little bit of like they're mindless zombies they like go to work Mm -hmm. start a nuclear family and that's that like you don't have to follow the set template so i think it's it's a little 
good at both. I, I can see it branching off of both of those, but that's just my interpretation of it. Yeah. And it's really interesting because of course there, there isn't really a right answer, yeah. you know, like the, the thing is these monsters were created. They were created in a postmodern era. Why? Yeah. You know, it's not like this is why it's like, we get to talk now <laughs> about why this may be. And, and I think it definitely has to do with like the idea of like, brainlessness um like as soul focus like their soul focus is survival eating brains (laughs) you know what I mean but having like a soul focus and having um absolutely no other like indication of understanding anything outside of that soul focus which is what modernity like modern times before postmodern kind of was like there was a soul focus and there was a society that moved toward that focus specifically and didn't really allow for any sort of like tangential focuses you know like there was this one way to go well that's Um, really interesting because something that I talked in my last segment with Zoe is and kind of about queer culture and queer culture seems to kind of like gravitate towards like monsters and stuff like that because you know they obviously history has made them feel ostracized and so they kind of like pinpoint to that but also mm. we've heard the dialogue of like all right why does it seem like more people are coming out and stuff like that like obviously there's the acceptance piece of it but also like i've heard the point like back you know 30 40 50 years ago like there were so many wars going on that america was involved in and like the modern world at the time was involved in and like people mm-hmm. were just like cool hope we survive and they didn't have time to think about all these (laughs) things and i think it's interesting how that kind of intertwines now because like there is a i would say like we're more individualistic than ever Uh and the old way Uh seems more zombified so to speak because our generation has the chance to actually think like okay who do we are and what do we want for ourselves that's yeah that's a perfect way to look at it for sure like the idea of the the individual like leading culture is a postmodern act and it is you know that it it violates like the idea of the zombie like there's no individual in in that zombie so yeah that's that's cool and i've never really thought about like zombies as art but it is like when you yeah i've always thought about just like okay zombies like (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's it exactly like you know werewolves and, and vampires you can't quite say i mean of course there's art created from it like sure. the creation of those monsters itself is not an art mm-hmm. um but zombies were created by this postmodern era that is an art like you said they were created and it's interesting to see now how in our culture now that we've kind of established this let's call it an art style of zombies that now we're starting to see it kind of branch out from the horror genre that it right. came from the kind of like freak gruesomeness exactly which in itself is such a postmodern act like we would be the ones to be like okay but we're not brainless and and we are individuals <laughs> and we're creating this gory monster to represent that but also we're going to deconstruct that idea and now we're going to make it dark comedy and now we're going to make it a romantic yeah. like, comedy and <laughs> so i love that and actually that's kind of like my next and final point like we have these TV shows like Walking Dead, which is wonderful. Um, and then like Dead Within, 28 Days Later, Dawn of the Dead, Z Nation, like all these things where zombies are a monster mm-hmm. and they're chasing down humans and they're eating them, you know. 
Um, but now we're seeing, like you said, like this huge influx of zombie movies and TV shows that mm-hmm. are just deconstructed and totally turned around and totally changed. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about a few of those specifically to end this segment. Uh, have you seen iZombie? No, I haven't. But that was the one that I was like, oh, I think there's this thing called iZombie. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's really <laughs> but good. But I've never seen it, no. I love it. It's basically about like a society that's trying to um, create one where zombies and humans live peacefully together. <laughs> Our generation um, is so progressive. <laughs> I know. Exactly. <laughs> so they totally postmodernized that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Warm Bodies, which is um, there are zombies, but they have the ability to become human again. So they have the ability oh. to find their individuality again. They just have to do that as like an inside, an inner journey. Oh, um, interesting. Yes. And just a little shout out to any listeners. Don't watch the movie. Definitely read the book. <laughs> <laughs> but that's yet another example of us just totally like deconstructing this idea that was all already created by our postmodern culture. And then the last one, which you and I really like, is yes. the Clarita Diet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and Santa good. Clarita Diet is like my first like zombie thing. Like I've oh, never really? been interested. Yeah, I've never been interested in oh, zombies. No way. Okay. Um, because I definitely saw it as this like hardcore horror thing. And you know, I don't mm-hmm. like horror at all. So I like try and gravitate towards it. I True. try and gravitate yeah. towards po- like positivity. But I was like um drew barrymore looks hilarious so like i need to watch this and like it has, I mean, it's such a fun show it is definitely like campy and quirky but like yes it's so it's so good it's also like as positive as you can make zombies because it's literally like a husband being supportive of his zombie wife <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know <laughs> but i think it's interesting just like we were talking earlier like how it all ties back to how we view individuality and mm-hmm like not conforming to the norm yeah yeah really is and then also there's just so much to be thought about there like what does zombies the monster mean and then also like our culture deconstructing this idea and creating all these different meanings Mm -hmm. uh, and all these different representations of zombies like what does that mean and um i think i think it's cool i mean you know how much i love like millennials and yeah <laughs> postmodernism and stuff like that and i think there's a lot to be said about the monsters that we like i've never thought of it that way but it's so fascinating glad you think so you just keep pushing me every episode <laughs> to like really think outside the box <laughs> all right good <laughs> which is why like i think it's interesting that like the zombies are acting as a mirror of what our society looks like yeah Oh, that's so interesting. (laughs) So I guess what we're really saying is, like, be pro-zombie. Yes, exactly. Be pro-zombie. Don't judge the zombies. Yeah, the zombies are people, too. (laughs) Hashtag. Exactly. Hello, Andy, and welcome back to the podcast. Hello, I'm back to the podcast. We're all back to the podcast. Maybe that's this episode's title is Back to the Podcast. I like it. I mean, there was a week that was not podcasted. I don't know what you're talking about. That week never happened. Hmm. It was 100% my fault, by the way. It was. <laughs> that's okay. I was on I, vacation. Yeah, no, it's okay. We missed the week, and then it actually ended up being kind of okay, because the first episode 
didn't fully 100% go out until like that next week anyways because I didn't realize the lag time of being approved by all the podcast providers. Mm-hmm. But it's an exciting time for us as techies because we're now distributed across, I think it's like 12 platforms. So we're pretty much everywhere at this point. Very, very neat. And we're on your favorite. We're on Overcast. It checks another box for you. Well, I mean, if you're on iTunes, you're on Overcast. So yeah, but that we've is... got all we've got all of our bases covered. Well, before we jump into tech, I'm going to surprise you with a little side segment that I'm going to call Christopher and Andy buy things that they don't need. I heavily enjoy this idea. Great, and I think we just have to talk about our shoes that we got this week. Oh God! And those would be the Utility Black Easy 500s. How are you loving your shoes? Uh, so I wore them out today. They look a lot better on my foot than I thought they would look. Still not 100% sold on them, but they're definitely comfy and they surpass my expectations. So I guess I'm going to keep them. You absolutely should. And this is the process I had with, I have the blushes as well, which are like a tan color for those of you who aren't familiar. And they're... They're just stupidly comfortable. I still think the shape is a little funny, but it's grown on me a lot. And, and the comfort is really what gets gets me. Which I guess I can't make fun of people that said that about like Crocs. But like these at least still have a style element to it versus Crocs were just bad. Bad. <laughs> they were really, really bad. I like them almost 100% better than I did when I initially tried them on. Yeah. The difference between those and the 350s is... The bottom shell on the foot, on like on the sole, is so much harder in between the cushion. And so you have this really solid feel on the ground, but it's still squishy and soft. Yeah, I, I get that too. Yeah, it's a really interesting mix, but I think I, I prefer it actually. Mm, it might just depend on the day for me. Like today, I really liked these. But the 350s for me are kind of like a more of like a going out shoe rather than an everyday walk around shoe. See, I'm beating my black and red ones. Because they, I don't know, it must just be the way that my foot is, but after a while, they hurt the crap out of my toes, so. No, see, they, they're they very, very great for my feet. Which I, Now I'm getting to the point where I'm scared that I'm wearing the black and red ones too much, but they're not really falling apart. They're just, I'm having to clean them oh, a lot. That's what they're there for. Exactly. I, I'm not really into the whole scene of like, I bought these shoes, now I'm never going to wear them. I, I'm just going to wear them whenever I feel like it. I have a few that I don't wear as much, but that's just because I have such a big rotation that they never really find their way back. Yeah. Well, I think if I could wish list anything, I would get a pair of the off-white Nike collabs just because they're so cool looking, but they're so expensive. I can't justify it. I don't think they're any more expensive than... I mean, at resale, they're expensive, yes. Yeah, 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 but you right. can't just buy them. There are um, a new mm. pair of Prestos coming out that are like supposed to be more high more highly See, manufactured. I don't, I don't, but I don't like the look of the Presto at all. I don't either, but then I saw a picture of the new ones coming out and they like mm-hmm. on an actual person and they don't look terrible, but I don't know. We'll see how I feel that day. Fair enough. Well, we can go ahead and segue right into it's tech because there was a lot of tech not, yeah. <laughs> We're just going to dive right off. All right. Because we've had a lot of tech news break this week. The first jumping point pun completely intended would be the release of Fortnite season five okay let's chat which we, we just, just played finished for playing two hours i think hour and a half was it oh wow it really was it wasn't dark when we started and now it's kind of dark so we really tr- we really yeah. burned through some time so well what were your first impressions of season five um so far it feels the same as seasons one through four to me so there aren't any huge overhauls here Mainly Fortnite, for the people that don't know, it's a game where it has a mix of a team or first-person shooter, depending on how you play, 
and building things. <laughs> is probably the best way I can describe it. But it's very much kind of a... I mean, it feels like the Hunger Games. It's a survival game. There's 100 people and you have to be yeah. the last one. It's a fun time, though. I'm really not a gamer. And this game has captured my attention. It's captured millions of people's attention. Which is why it's such a big deal right now. And the biggest thing, I think, is just the fact that it's free to play. And I've not purchased any of like the passes or power-ups. Have you? Um, I did the battle pass just because i like some of this like the player skins that come out of it um but that's about as much as i'll buy because i appreciate that what they've done is they've made a game that's free to play and you don't need the purchases versus a lot of games are like oh yeah it's free to play but like you're gonna have a real rough time if you're not buying all the in 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 order to get to the next level you need to buy 500 tokens which also cost 9.99 yeah 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 that always felt very scammy and cheesy to me which is why I felt like mobile gaming never really exploded, but now you have games like Fortnite and Battlegrounds that are mm-hmm. coming to mobile devices, and they are of the Fortnite um, genre where, you know, it's it's free to play, but you can voluntarily buy things that really have no effect on your progress in the game, just um, visually and things like that. Yeah, and I hear they're making, like, mad money doing Yeah, I think I read something like they made $100 million on iOS in, like, three or four days or something. I don't remember what the exact number was, but it was nuts. And one of the things I love about it is that it is a cross-platform game. So if you have an iPhone or an iPad, you can play it there. Andy, you and I were just playing on our Xboxes, but I typically play the game on my Nintendo Switch, which is the portable console that, you know, I'm usually just playing it in bed or in between things at work when i'm on a break or whatever and it's really nice that i can just play it kind yeah of i mainly bounce back between um xbox and pc and you know, the progress is always there and nothing's ever really missing and then occasionally i'll play on my phone if i'm on a bus or something but i've yet to play on my phone i don't think i could succeed it's actually not phone. as hard as you think it would be so i would give it a shot hmm maybe i'll try it out because i obviously have to do a lot of like waiting for like buses and subways here in new york yeah. and it's not gonna be it's definitely be extra I also just got really excited because I'm seeing news that somebody is releasing a adapter for the Nintendo Switch that adds Bluetooth audio support so you can pair your AirPods to it, and that would be huge. That would be pretty neat. Oh, I'm here for that. I haven't, I'll have to read up on the details and update you on the next episode, but I'm very excited cool, about cool. that. So I think that about covers Fortnite. The only thing that I've really seen a change with Fortnite is typically I, on the solo round, will place like top 10 and I've really had a struggle goal, like making it to like the <laughs> 70s. <laughs> and I wonder if it's like a double-edged sword of the new season has brought so much attention to the game that more people are playing. But it's 100 people either way. It just feels like there are more people mm-hmm. than before. Yeah, I, I definitely, I don't know if I've noticed a change, but I, I don't really spawn in the less populated spots. So I, I typically always die quickly, but I, I've never won. So that should tell you a little bit about how I play. Gotcha. Yeah, I've been having a lot of games where I come in like the top five. So I'm usually like the fourth or third. And part of that's the fact that I'm just a sneaky player. Not that I'm doing anything shady, but I, I definitely am just like, I'm going to hang over here and not be noticed. Yeah, and then I'm I'm basically up against like two or three. I've always been way far too aggressive of a video game player and it's uh, pretty detrimental which is weird because i had that problem with the halo series as i would always just run straight in and always get killed but i don't play fortnite <laughs> that way i did play halo odst that way though because it was a dark creepy game which was great i've also recently started replaying that because it comes with the master chief collection you have to pay like i think it's four dollars to do like an in-app purchase to unlock odst Worth but i was it. like for odst it'll be fine yeah 
So everybody's MacBook woes are finally oh, over. Maybe. Hopefully, maybe. We spoke about this last time that they had started the keyboard replacement program. However, about a week after that, they finally unveiled new MacBook Pros, and they look amazing. Yes. Well, I'll spec. We'll get into specs in a second. But the thing that um, I think I'm most excited for is it seems that they didn't make any drastic changes to the keyboard. So in terms of like key throw and things like that. It's very much the same keyboard, but the actual layer that is beneath the keyboard, each key kind of has a little blockade that kind of prevents dust and crumbs from getting in there. And that was what the biggest problem was for me, especially with my current laptop. So I am interested to see how people are kind of uh, experience or how the experience is going for people who have the new laptops and if it's worth it to me to upgrade to a new one. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but I actually really do like the butterfly switch. I like how clicky it is, but obviously the issue was the problem of yeah (laughs) i've gotten used to it i wish there was a little bit more of a key throw it it still feels way too flat for me but i once you use it for a year i mean that's what your keyboard is but the macbook pros are really thin though they're they're very very little key travel i'm used to the butterfly switches on the ipad pro smart keyboard which definitely has a little bit more travel but i wish it was I wish it was just as clicky because it definitely, especially with like the shift or the space bar is a lot. But that's what gets me though, because the iPad pro or the smart keyboard rather is way thinner than a MacBook pro is. And the keys on there still have a pretty good bounce to them. I guess that's the fact that I'm just not having to worry about components underneath it. It's literally just that little board. And then of course I have all the connection issues with my, my iPad pro keyboard that drives, drive me insane on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, I, from what I've heard, which we can talk about at some point, uh, we're getting close. Hopefully, hopefully. I, I would throw so much money at an iPad that either has a kickstand or has some sort of dock that you can dock it like a laptop. Because the iPad Pro is my computer, which we talked about last episode. But I just, I need some angles. I really need yeah, angles. I'm getting a little tired of having my iPad stand at the same same angle for however long it's been. Absolutely. Well, the part about the MacBook Pro that has me most excited and makes me want to go see them really bad is they darkened the space gray to match the iMac Pro. See, I don't know if I've just not been paying attention, but I did not know that at all. So I'm hearing that for the first time. And I was wondering if you had heard that. And so I was kind of excited to see if you knew about that. But yes, so they've darkened the space gray. So if you bring up like the tech specs and compare the um, MacBook Escape, which is the 13 inch without a touch bar with the new touch bar one that got an update you'll see that it's a couple shades darker. And they're saying that it's a lot closer to the iMac Pro, which is a really nice dark shade of gray, versus the current space gray of the MacBook Pro, which is basically, at times, indistinguishable from the silver. Okay, so we're going to rewind now to the Andy and Chris buy things they don't need segment. Exactly. So we're just going to go ahead and purchase some MacBook Pros in space gray just because they're a nice dark color and that's all we care about. Uh, I did not know that. I did not need to know that. Why did you tell me that? Because I'm a glutton for punishment and so are you. (laughs) But yeah, the uh, new MacBooks got a darker space gray because the term space gray has to change every year. Uh, Well, if I can sell my current MacBook and uh, get enough to kind of offset the new purchase, we'll see. I think really, though, for professionals, I think this is the MacBook Pro that they should have released last year because the MacBook Pro has always been a pro speed computer and Apple got a lot of flack. Um, I guess it was almost two years ago now when they introduced the Touch Bar MacBooks that they just they weren't powerful. The spec difference between the MacBook Pro that I have, which is a late 2016 and the ones that they just released, it's astronomical, the difference. The the jump between processors is insane so i really like to i feel like 
for this and for other professionals, this is really the the comfort of Apple putting their money where their mouth is and saying, all right, we care about pro users. We understand what pro users need. Because when they introduced these to the press, they picked a couple people from the press to come in and see them and just talk to professionals who are using them. And we're talking coders, graphic designers, musicians, like across the board, different fields where just a lot of performance power is needed. And they're continuing to say, like, this has opened up possibilities that we never could have done on the MacBook. Like, we needed a dedicated desktop processor for. And that has me really excited. Yeah, I was very impressed by the the specs. Um, Not a huge fan of the price increase that obviously came along with it but uh it's the price that you have to pay for that experience yeah it's really storage where things get crazy storage is really when you start to see that that price increase but i understand the built-in storage is a lot faster than if you bought just an external drive but that's not as important for everybody so if you need that power but storage is something you can be a little wiggly on or you don't mind carrying an external drive like you can definitely save yourself some solid yeah my there. current laptop has 120 gig ssd and the new default is 256 and I would be totally fine with that. And the machine that I spec'd out was still two grand. So yeah. Yeah. It looks like their top tier 15 inch starts at 27.99, and that's with a basically a 2.7 gigahertz processor um, with turbo boost up to 4.3. And I think the biggest thing here is you're talking six core processors right. now in the 15 inch models and quad core in the There's something inch. that just popped into my head, which kind of goes back to the discussion that we had two weeks ago. Um, now that the MacBook Pro line has seen a price increase, I wonder what that does to the lines below it. Well, I wanted to talk about this as well because I think it says something from Apple that they didn't save this for one of the fall events, that this was, for the tech community, this has been a huge announcement. But for Apple and in their point of view, they were like, this is just a minor change. This is nothing in comparison to what we have right. to talk about later this year. So let's just push them out now and just drop them silently. On the yeah, website. I do think that the the change was big enough. I mean, although there were no design major design changes, the I would say sure. the internal changes were kind of big enough to warrant their own couple minutes at an event, which is um, curious. Which I always get really excited when I see Apple cutting time from a keynote because that means big things are coming. And that makes me excited for things like iPad Pro refresh. And I would think uh, a 12-inch MacBook refresh. I still don't think the Air is coming back. I have no reason no, to think the Air dead. is coming back. There's no way they bring it back. We'll have to see if we eat our words in a couple I'll months. put money on it. When, when do you think they will introduce new laptops? Do you think they'll do it at the September event or do you think we're looking more like October? Are we talking just the regular MacBooks? Mac- back the macbook line uh yeah i would say any other portable i would say both the ipad and the and the macbook i think they'll be announced together so i i mean for me at least i think they're both going to come in september i think they're going to have a lot to talk about in september in terms of ios 12 is a pretty big deal in terms of speed and what it can do with shortcuts and stuff like that i think they're going to want to hone down on that i think they're going to want to talk about like HomePod and apple watch so i really don't see there being a lot of room for like ipad and macbook at the september event unless there's a whole bunch of iPad stuff that's going to be baked into iOS 12 that they're going to have to talk about before before releasing it to the public. Uh, I'm not really putting my money on that. I, I feel like we would have kind of heard some rumbling of that by now. I think the iOS 12 that we're going to get is pretty much what we've seen and what we've been using on the beta so far. Um, so I don't know. It does seem like the fall of those stuff. Uh, or they might split it into two. Maybe do like an education type thing and that's where we'll get laptops. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, would they do two education events in the same year? I don't know if they would actually call it an education event, but it would kind of have that feel of maybe like just like a one-off type thing. Yeah, like yeah like they do in some kind of random thing. city or...
Fair enough. Which you would think they would want to update the regular MacBook before before, before students start buying laptops, which Soon. is like this yeah. month and next month. But who knows? They definitely beat to their their own drummer on that I, one. Maybe this is what that was for, though. I I I in my experience, I've seen more MacBook Pros in terms of Apple products and Apple laptops than I do of you know the twelve inch MacBook or uh, iPads or anything like that. So I don't... that's really interesting because all the students I know, like they just want to get that price point as low as possible. Yeah, I I've really rarely seen people without MacBook Pros. Interesting, but you've been around campuses much yeah. more recently yeah. than I have. So I've seen a lot of. I'm gonna defer to your judgment there. Over the years, but I would say the last two two and a half years, it was mostly um, Retina MacBook Pros from I would say 2014 forward. Gotcha. That makes sense. I just I can't in good conscience recommend an, a MacBook Air to anybody. I don't know who. No, buys I, them. I don't know who still buys them either. I had a Genius Bar appointment a couple months ago, and I was sitting there, and they were just doing a part swap for me. And this lady was like, "Oh, I brought my, I broke my MacBook Air. Like, I just need to buy another one real quick." And I really just wanted to be don't like, do it. "Don't do it! Don't do it!" Just because the, I mean, the internals are so old at this point. Yep. The display technology is old. Everything about it is just old. It's the same thing with the Mac Mini. Like, it's just a bad buy. Yeah, I have also learned, though, that you can't really talk people out of their tech ways, and it's really not worth trying anymore. That's very true. That's a valid point. The other thing that's been on my radar this week would be the Surface Go, which is, I guess, Microsoft's answer to the iPad a little bit. It's a 10-inch Surface. It only runs Windows. I forget what they call it. Windows yeah, S? It's Windows 10 or Windows 10 S or just Windows S. I'm not sure, but it's a very scaled back version of Windows 10. I believe it only you can only install stuff through the Microsoft Store. And if you want to install correct, more, you yeah. have to purchase a more advanced license. Yeah. So the Surface Go, the biggest thing and really the only thing that's notable about it is the $399 price tag. And that's really what has turned people's heads because the Surface has been a pretty expensive entry point. Yeah, I think prior to this, the cheapest was either four ninety nine or five forty nine. I want to I think. Yeah, they've definitely yeah. been up there. So for me, being someone that is a tablet computer user, I even for a second found myself going, should I pick one of these up? It's only three ninety nine. Especially when you consider, so it's got their new hinge technology that goes all the way back, which is really really nice. It goes back to that point of angles that I was talking right. about earlier. It also finally has an integrated USB C port, which is huge. And finally, and we're gonna segue on that for just a second. Have you seen the ridiculous USB C adapter that they've released for i think it's 80 dollars that microsoft released i have not yes so you're familiar with their surface connect yes. port right so it connects to that and it is literally almost the size of the old school macbook pro power bricks <laughs> and at the end of that dongle is just one usb-c port <laughs> and it's 80 dollars for one usb-c port and it's massive i mean in terms of it being 80 dollars it's definitely something that i feel like apple would charge too so i don't think they're way too out of their price barrier however the way you're describing it it sounds pretty terrible it's it the thing is massive it's very very <laughs> large and everybody's just been like who who's buying this thing because Apple's option, I think, is also $80, but it is USB-C, USB-A, which is the traditional USB port, and HDMI. And it looks good. And it looks good. And it's thin, and you could easily, like, put it in your pocket. This thing needs its own little carrying bag. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's a product that we need to release. It's a carrying bag for your, your USB-C Microsoft. That's tremendous. But I just, I want to know who, how many people saw this at Microsoft and they were like, that looks good. When it's just, just giant. Judging by a lot of the things that Microsoft has done in the last five to ten years, I would say um, there aren't many people rejecting those ideas. Oh, fair enough. 
But the Surface Go starts at $399. It starts at 64 gigabytes internal storage. The biggest thing here, though, that I hope people realize is it is a super watered-down processor. It uses EMMC storage, which isn't even solid state. It's slower than that. And it also uses a Pentium processor, which tells you something right there. I just pulled out what was left in the closet from 1995. I didn't even know. Yeah, I didn't even know Intel still had a Pentium line, but apparently they do, and it's in the Surface Go. You can step up to 549 and get double the storage, double the RAM, a solid state drive, um, but it's still on a Pentium chip, which pretty much shot down any interest that I had in this device. But what really kind of pops through my mind is who is this device for? I Because a lot of people are talking like, oh, this is going to run the iPad Pro, you know, mark it down. And I've, I've got some thoughts on that. And at first, I kind of felt the same way. But knowing what you know about the Surface Go, how do you feel about that? My guess is they are targeting to maybe two areas. They're going to go for college students or high school students or, you know, any kind of student who just needs very basic word processing, very basic web browsing, mm-hmm. very basic PowerPoint and stuff like that. Or an older audience who just wants basic web browsing, email, uh, a camera to do Skype with family members, things like that. I I think internally they have to know that no one who needs any kind of computing power is going to buy this. Yeah, which is interesting to me because I thought about it in two aspects. Usually people that buy the Surface Pro buy it because they want a full-fledged computer in a tablet form factor. So they're typically... I don't want to say power users, but they are more powerful users. Let's call them Mm -hmm. advanced users. This product is not for them. So when you look at the other side of that market that buys iPads and stuff like that because they want entertainment devices, they wouldn't necessarily buy this either because the iPad does entertainment and apps and basic web browsing and stuff like that better than the Surface. It delivers a cleaner experience. Yeah, there is something to be said for the kind of the app environment versus the desktop OS in tablet form factor environment. And I am 100% more inclined to pick up an iPad type device than I would a Surface to watch YouTube videos or watch videos on an airplane or something like that. I would not want a Surface for that. Exactly. And that's where I was just like, all right, maybe we're making much ado about nothing here because I would never want to pick up a desktop environment, which is what the Surface is, and have to open a browser window and then go to Netflix.com and make sure Silverlight's up to date and then play. Like, I just open an app and hit play. I I think that it's mainly going to be for, you know, the type of person who just wants to take something out of the house if they're going somewhere where they have to take notes or something really quick like that. Yeah, and it does have the pen support and mouse support, which is nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'll sell but a good overall, amount. Overall, it's a snazzy little device, but I don't think in comparison to the iPad line, it's going to even no, make a dot at all, which everybody in the tech sphere seems to think it's going to. I I don't see it happening, especially just because of how powerful the iPad is getting. Even the 349 iPad is a screamer now. Yeah. It's just stupid fast. And, I mean, and you still have to account for all of the people who still buy regular Windows laptops, too. I mean, forget about yeah, Apple completely for a minute. They have to break those people of their habits as well. Yeah. We're just in such an interesting transition time where people are getting out of computers and starting to grab tablets and phones and stuff like that. And it just makes me all the more excited to see where we're at in like 10 years. Yeah. I, I think we're going to hit this weird thing though, where like tablets, tablets just get so powerful that they're basically laptops. Well, we, 
this sort of got touched on at WWDC where Apple is bringing iPad apps to the and iOS apps to their desktop computers and I think it was the guys over at Accidental Tech Podcast that were talking about this and really Apple's just kind of biding time because they know their iPad is going to get to a point where there's really nothing you mm-hmm. can do on it and I'm just very excited for that time in my life yeah I agree I mean I used my iPad for a good six or seven months exclusively and there were a few pitfalls but I can't say that I hated it yeah Ironically enough, while editing the podcast the other night, I finally found something that I wanted to just rip my hair out trying to do an iOS, and that was to download a sound file so that Mm -hmm. I could import it. And in an effort to reduce piracy, you can't download audio files from the browser, and it just drove me absolutely insane. And finally, I found this really, really old third-party app that basically creates a browser window in the app, and you can save the file and then export it to the Files app, and it just took so long. And this was something that I could do in, like, three seconds on a traditional desktop, and I was like, why? Why? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's... Because everything else is so much more natural. Yeah, it's just those types of weird odds and ends that still make me feel like I need to have a regular laptop or desktop platform. For me, it was a little bit of a challenge. I was like, no matter what I do, I'm not going to get the MacBook Pro <laughs> out of my closet, boot it up, wait 20 minutes for it to boot up and come out of its cryo sleep, and then attempt to find this file and then move it to my cloud where I want it to be in the first place. And I wasn't even doing anything shady. It was just, I needed a sound effect file and I got it. It just, it was just so painstakingly monotonous trying to get there. Yeah, I I mean, I believe it. It, 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 it. Like I said, it has its pitfalls, but I, I overall the experience is much cleaner and much more intuitive, I think, than a regular laptop. But for us traditionalists, we like our laptops. Yeah, the reason, what really gravitates me towards the iPad is the same thing that keeps me from going to like Android on my phone. I understand the power benefits of Android and I understand the power benefits of a PC, but I like with the iPad, I don't have to think about it. I can save an image and I don't, have to think all right well we're gonna put it in this folder in this file on this desktop and so on and so forth it just goes Uh to the photos app and that's where it belongs and my messages are in messages and it's so organized and i feel the same way when i try and use an android phone it's like yes i i appreciate that i can choose to set up my home screen any way i want and it's something i wish the iphone could do but at the same time it's something where when i have that option it's like too much choice yeah i definitely agree to that where i have to antagonize about like where is this app? Where should I put it? Versus this, I can just, I don't have the choice, so I don't have to worry about it. I never need anything more than folders. Well, we have already churned through almost 35 minutes, which is amazing. And I have to ask, how's the HomePod? Are you keeping it? Because Sonos released AirPlay for their speakers, and I know you have kind of an internal battle between your Sonos speakers and your HomePod, so... What is the fate of my beloved So HomePod? my HomePod was sold on eBay and shipped out, um... Thursday? Friday? Thursday? It's gone. The HomePod is listeners, gone. Listeners, if you listen very closely, you can hear the tears rolling down my face yep, right now. The HomePod. I'm, I'm such a fan of the HomePod. I, just really I was a fan haven't. of the HomePod too, and if I didn't have like $2,000 already invested in my Sonos system, I would have kept it, but there was just no place for it in the house. That's fair, because the sound is just so good on it. It's just yep, really good. It was very good, but I, I, I felt like I was using my Sonos system more because I have speakers upstairs, and when I go upstairs, you know, I like to have all the speakers playing at once, and I wasn't going to spend $400 on another HomePod just to put one upstairs. Ah, uh, see, that's where you're not fully committed to the cause because I exactly. totally would have done that. <laughs> but I also don't have a previous, like, speaker network set up. So the HomePod was my first, like, serious speaker. And so that's why I'm like, I just want to build upon the HomePod everywhere. Right. My house. I mean, Air- 
AirPlay 2, I've been using my Sono speakers so much more since that update came out on Wednesday, I think it was. So how does AirPlay 2 show up for the Sono speakers? Because I don't fully understand this. It acts in the same way that the HomePod does. So you hit the AirPlay button and instead of hitting where the HomePod was you would pick the sono speakers and because i have my living room sono speakers all grouped into one group it just i just click on tv room and those speakers start to play and then if i want to also go up to the one in my office i would just hit that as well however the sonos that i have in my office is not one of the new sonos one speakers it's one of the older sonos speakers so there's a little trick behind that i have to actually go into the sonos app and turn that speaker on so it's a little bit convoluted but it still works. Gotcha. Interesting. Does it still work with Siri and all that? The one upstairs does not. The rest do. But the rest of them do. Got it. Well, thank you for enlightening me on that. I can't believe we just burned through so much tech news just like that. Seems to happen all the time. Any predictions for next week? I don't know. We're kind of in the dog days of summer and Apple kind of blew a lot of their news out this week. So I have no idea what could happen next week. Um, I think next week, if nothing else happens, we'll need to dig into the fact that I had to double check to see if I was dreaming this or if it was reality. But I think it really sums up the point we were talking about earlier about the iPad getting powerful. But that's Adobe is bringing full Photoshop to the iPad next year. That is definitely something that we can talk about next week because I'll have thoughts because on that. I need to educate myself on that and also just cry a happy little cry that the iPad is getting yet another pro application. Yeah, I, I thought that the Photoshop that is on there now is kind of powerful. So I'm kind of intrigued to see what we will get out of a full Photoshop experience. Absolutely, because I have a couple photo editing apps on here that are pretty powerful that we can gloss over next week and they can do some what I would call Photoshop class activities and editing things that are already just iPad apps and they're already native and they're already here. Perfect. Well, thank you so much and I will talk yes, to you next week. Yes, goodbye. Back again to keep me from being totally disconnected from the world is Daniel. Daniel, Thank welcome you. back. I'm glad to be here. Uh, happy sequel to you, episode two. Perfect. So what's happened in the world this week? Uh, well, this week I was going to talk about kind of a story that's been all over the news. I'm not sure if you've paid much attention to it, but it's uh, about the Thai soccer team who got trapped in the cave in northern Thailand uh, and had to be rescued. Have you followed this at all? So basically what I know about it, I was talking on the phone to my mom last night about this, and basically all that I know are, like, the headlines that I get through, like, push notifications. So I haven't, like, dug into anything. I haven't really read anything. I've just gotten, like, the headline by headline on what's going on. Gotcha. Well, uh, Amanda and I visited Thailand, like, two years ago now, and so I had some local journalists that I follow, uh as a result just i still follow them and i've kind of been keeping an eye on this since the the very beginning uh and it, it was quite the crazy story really uh i wanted to recap it and talk about a few other things but uh, you know i don't want to hog up the whole conversation with just me reading the news so interrupt <laughs> me if you want to chat but it's a really interesting story so basically on saturday june 23rd a, a small soccer team of teenage boys known as the wild boars were practicing and uh, after practice they decided to go explore 
kind of a cave system nearby. They did this all the time, um, and today they were doing it because it was one of their friends' 17th birthday. The, the boy's name was Knight. Oh, his, okay. his family had, you know, birthday cake and presents all waiting for him at home, but he oh wanted to go out with his friends, and they went, and they went into these caves. And it's not like they went into... I mean, it, it was a dangerous decision, but, like, they do this all the time. Uh, it's a really popular cave system to explore with day trippers and, and local kids. So it's kind of like going hiking, like on like a challenging hiking path. Like exactly, and yeah, especially... like when people go climbing and stuff like that. Like it's it, there are risks involved, but it's something that is commonplace. It's not like they were doing something totally out of the question. Yeah, and people in this area, this region, explore these caves all the time. And yeah. what made this particularly dangerous is that they were approaching monsoon season. But monsoon season actually really doesn't start until mid late july so they were still a few weeks ahead of schedule um yeah so basically they had explored this system many times before in fact there's a spot roughly five miles deep into the cave where they would apparently go to initiate their new team members they would go deep in and they would carve their names into the cave walls um so they weren't necessarily going all that far in that day, but they went in and they left their bags and bikes at one of the entrances and they were only expecting to be gone for an hour or two. Actually, a fortunate thing that happened is apparently one of the boys texted a friend to let him know that they were doing this. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, one of the team members decided not to and went home. So there were multiple people that knew that they were doing this. Yeah. So that may have been a life-saving thing. Um, oh, so I had said that during monsoon season, the cave is known to flood. Well, sometimes that water can get up to 16 feet deep. They hadn't considered that risk because they still had a few weeks to go. So it began raining and a flash flood quickly left them with no choice but to head deeper into the cave rather than heading back to the entrance they had come in. Knight's parents grew kind of suspect when he didn't come home for his birthday. And then those other friends knew where they were. So word got out quickly where they were locals went up to the cave to try and find them they found their personal belongings they found that the cave had been flooded out mm -hmm. and a rescue operation was uh kind of quickly activated over the next day or so rainfall continued waters grew deeper engineers were called in they began to try to pump out water uh they tried to cut off the streams that were adding to the depth of the water and actually a team of over a hundred thai navy divers showed up and began scouting the cave system the issue is the complexity of these caves and the super muddy, murky waters kind of stripped away some of the hope that this team was even going to be still found alive. Yeah. Uh, so five days go by, and on June 28th, international divers from around the world begin to show up. Some had been called in by the Thai government. Others were just volunteers who heard about the situation and showed up on their own. Uh -huh. uh, but some actually reported that they were called in for a body recovery, and they actually didn't anticipate this turning into a rescue mission. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the big question was, how did these kids even stay alive? Yeah, seriously. It turns out that they actually used rocks in the cave to dig a 16-foot cavern where they were able to like huddle together for warmth. Uh, they also were drinking water that was dripping off the cave walls. And there are also some mixed reports that they some of the boys had brought snacks in with them mm -hmm. to surprise Knight for his birthday. So those snacks may have also kind of helped sustain them. Like I said, there's mixed reports there because some people say that that happened. Others say they had no food. Uh, this is why it's good to always bring snacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
a lot of people were quick to blame the coach for even taking these kids in there. Uh, he was a 25 year old, you know, he's an adult. You think, mm-hmm. why would he put them into this dangerous situation? But like we said, they, you know, these people did this all the time. It wasn't on, you know, that different from, you know, a normal evening activity for them. Sure. Uh, but uh, the parents actually uh, of the children praised him for uh, kind of keeping them safe and teaching them to meditate, conserving oxygen. They may not have survived without, uh, you know, an adult to keep them aware of those things that they needed to do. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't even think about that. So that's like crazy. So obviously stories are still coming out from this whole thing. And you should mm-hmm. never credit one person for an operation of this scale but there is one story that kind of keeps sticking out and that's of a retired diver uh, originally from st albans england uh, his name is Vern unsworth mm-hmm. Vern currently lives in chiang rai which is the province where this happened and he has spent the last six years exploring and diving in the tamlong cave system uh, he actually in one interview called it his second home so this guy has an intimate knowledge of this system and he was one of the first people to show up on the scene and a lot of people are kind of crediting his intimate knowledge of the system with playing a major role in this rescue sure uh, actually he ended up ca- uh, telling the thai government to call the two british divers who ended up finding the boys on monday july 2nd so mr unsworth obviously has played a, a big role in all of these people being uh, you know brought out alive so this was the story that kind of echoed around the world uh, against all odds after nine days over two miles deep in a flooded cave all 12 boys and their coach were found alive but there was a lot more of the journey to go Mm -hmm. more divers and doctors were sent in to provide food and oxygen but uh, and put guide wires into place while authorities began to debate how the rescue should even take place and but they had an extremely complicated situation so a one-way journey to the boys took approximately two hours and much of that time was spent underwater in muddy waters that you could not see at all wow that's crazy some spots were even so tight where scuba tanks couldn't even stay mounted on the divers they actually had to like you know take it off send one person down mm-hmm. pass the, the tank along uh, and so they you know obviously had to try and debate now how are we going to get these kids out can we mm-hmm. can we teach the boys to scuba scuba is a really dangerous thing a lot of yeah like you have to take like don't courses even... and get certified and... Uh, yeah and i think a lot of people uh, that haven't looked into it ever think it's like you know you put on a tank and you put a tube in your mouth and like no there's a lot more to it if you move at the wrong speed even you're lungs can be crushed there's, there's a lot of science there that i don't yeah, know but that's scary you know, this isn't just do uh so you know it was a long debate do you try and teach them to scuba would it be safer to just provide food and oxygen and wait out monsoon season that's nearly four months so that seems impossible too when things really kicked into gear, uh, sadly, after disaster struck. On July 6th, four days after the boys were found, a 38-year-old Thai Navy SEAL, Saman Gunan, was killed while on a routine dive to bring the team more oxygen tanks. He lost consciousness after running out of air himself, and his diving partner was unable to resuscitate him. So despite uh, all of the divers' best efforts oxygen levels were still dropping dangerously low and more rain was coming and the situation was becoming dire so time was running out fortunately more help began to pour in from around the world 
Volunteer cooks and cleaners came to support the rescuers. Over 100 additional divers from around the globe showed up. Even Elon Musk offered the services of his engineers to devise a rescue plan. And we'll get back to that because it's a whole other topic. But it was Sunday, July 7th, when Thai authorities decided they needed to act. Over two weeks had now passed since the boys went in. Rains had stopped. But more rain was coming in a couple of days, and it was a now or never situation. Yeah. So how they were saved is very specific. I'm just going to quote the BBC here, if that's okay. Sure. Each each boy was given a full face air mask to ensure they could breathe and clipped to a diver. Another diver accompanied them. A cylinder was strapped to the front of each child while a handle was attached to their backs, and they were held face down to ensure water would run away from their faces. Uh, John, a British rescue diver, likened the equipment to a shopping bag that allowed them to maneuver the boys around obstacles. At narrow sections, rescuers had to unstrap their air tanks in order to squeeze through while also pulling along the boys. It would have been terrifying for experienced divers, let alone children who couldn't swim. Yeah. The Thai government says the boys and the coach were given anti-anxiety medication to relax, but several sources have told the BBC that they were in fact sedated and only semi-conscious during the journey. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so that was kind of crazy. Uh, once they reached chamber three, they had to enter a that took another few hours. At this point, each boy was secured in a stretcher and carried by a team of f- at least five men. At one point, that stretcher had to be put on a raft and pulled across a chin-high pool of water. At another point, rescuers had to winch the boys up a steep slope using a pulley system. And then in some rocky areas, they had to form human chains, passing the boys hand-to-hand, while others slid them on top of pipes pumping out water. Hundreds of divers were involved in this effort. It's crazy. It's insane. So they brought them out one by one over three days and on the last day things started to get a little crucial it was july 10th and it was expected that the cave would fully flood that day at one point one diver lost their grip on the guide rope and actually got lost in the muddy water for for over 90 minutes yikes fortunately he was able to backtrack find the cable and they all made it out. The final three boys, their coach, and the last of the divers came out alive. <laughs> it was reported that the waters were rising as fast as 11 inches an hour that day. Wow. And that was before one of the pumps suddenly failed. People on the scene reported that a flood rushed in and workers had to scatter from the site. And it all happened in the nick of time. It was an 18-day mission and it came to an incredibly miraculous close. So today, July 14th, the boys were finally released from the hospital. I have to wonder if any of them are actually actually going to show up at the world cup final tomorrow uh which is sunday july 15th Mm -hmm. it's just uh, you know in one sense like they need to recover and be with their families and in another sense this has become like the story around the world and it would it wouldn't surprise me if like you know this story of the thai soccer boys ends up being like brought to the world cup so i kind of wonder if any of them are like on a plane to russia right now yeah i don't know we'll see (laughs) <laughs> Although I think if I were their parents, I'd be like, you're not going anywhere ever. Thanks. Ever again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's estimated that nearly 10,000 people from around the globe pitched in their brain and muscle power for this rescue effort. Uh, and Knight's parents have promised that they're going to throw him another birthday party. <laughs> but one of the things that I wanted to discuss so that I'm not just reading news at you sure. is uh, kind of about that Elon Musk situation. Okay. So Elon Musk uh, announced uh, right shortly after the Thai Navy SEAL unfortunately died that he was going to provide basically any resources needed. His engineers were available to develop something 
to try and help get the boys out, mm-hmm. whether that was going to be like a child-sized submarine or what. They weren't really sure. But supposedly they put people on the site, figured out dimensions and stuff that they needed, and began to develop a kind of a pod out of old Falcon rocket materials. Oh, and they developed it in less than a day and got it on a plane and shipped it over to Thailand. What's interesting here is Elon Musk claims that his team was working with the Thai government, but several of the divers who were there have been quoted as saying the device that they received was never going to work. And he was not involved in the process at all, really. They didn't have the data they needed to create something that would work Mm -hmm. and that this was all just a PR stunt. Wow, that's really problematic for you, it's true. Because Elon Musk's PR lately has not been great. So if there's things like that on top of it, like, yikes. Yeah, and so I just found this really interesting because, I mean, when it was first announced, I was kind of thinking to myself, like, wow, he really is kind of like a real-life Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then, you know, these rumors started coming out that, like, oh, he wasn't really invited here. And uh, it was all just a PR stunt this device was never gonna work and and like i you know i don't know what's true and what's false from that but it's just kind of an interesting thing for him to suddenly you know like be on the other end yeah yeah i mean i like to think the best like i would love to think his intentions were genuine but unfortunately these days we like don't always know yeah well i mean you know a lot of people from around the world were trying to help and and uh, you i'd like to think they were too actually on a side note this week someone challenged him to give money to deal with you know the flint water crisis which is Mm -hmm. still going on somehow and he actually announced he's absolutely on board and he will fix the uh, or or like provide filters for any home that needs it sure so you know i i do want to believe that he isn't you know an honest philanthropist but yeah i think it's better to believe like the positive in the world and just see the best in people yeah um then one other thing i wanted to talk about is well i don't know if the listeners know this but i kind of work in the film and television industry Mm -hmm. and of course when a story like this happens there is going to be you know eventually a movie uh, or a tv show or something that always happens uh especially in situations like this where you can't you know copyright a real life story so there's probably going to be like five of them made over the course of several years Mm -hmm. you know there'll be a direct to dvd there will be a hbo documentary special there will be um you know the hollywood blockbuster summer film uh so this is a fairly normal thing but something that was a little disconcerting with this was how quickly some announcements came out about making a movie surrounding this whole ordeal the same day that the boys the final boys were pulled out alive with their coach a studio called pureflix announced that they were going to be adapting it into uh an inspirational film now pureflix is the studio behind uh several christian films such as god's not dead but they have already sworn that this is just going to be an inspirational film and you know they're not trying to turn it into a religious thing which is all I kind mean... of dandy but like the announcement came very quickly mm-hmm. like I, I just felt it just seems un- give... it seems insensitive exactly like like give the families some time um so there was a response kind of the next day indirectly uh do you know anything about director john chu it sounds really familiar but i don't know why he is actually known years ago for being a choreographer 
filmmaker. Okay. He he did things like Step Up. Okay. Um he he did like Justin Bieber like tour documentaries. Sure. Um you know, he's been doing stuff like that for years. He actually directed Now You See Me too. Um but he has a film coming out this summer fall, I think. Okay. Um that is an adaption of a, you know, well-known book called Crazy Rich Asians. And it's getting a lot of attention right yeah, now. Yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, well it's getting a lot of attention because Hollywood is known for its lack of Asian representation. Mm-hmm. And this is a, you know, a movie uh, that is based on a popular Asian novel yeah. uh, that is being directed by him, you know, a popular Asian director and stars all Asians. And so it's kind of a big deal in Hollywood right it's now. It's kind of like the Black Panther happening. of the Asian world. Kind of. I, I, I'm, but he put out a statement mm-hmm. the very, you know, the day after the final people were rescued that felt very pointed at Pure he didn't directly name them but he put out a statement that said he refuses to let hollywood whitewash the tive k roof rescue story mm-hmm. and that there's a beautiful story about human beings saving each other and anyone thinking about adapting the story should approach it right and respectfully uh he also went on to talk about how uh you know he has experience uh with like thai culture mm-hmm. and and basically he his statement was saying we need to be sensitive about choosing who the heroes are going to be absolutely and i think that's out of all this that's you know when too, you and- like that's a real concern and especially like Hollywood, Hollywood doesn't exactly have like a great reputation on that aspect. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately what it comes down to is he's just saying it's inappropriate to announce within one day mm-hmm. that you're going to be adapting this. We're still finding out who, like, if they're going to be okay, like, because they were in the hospital up until they today. Were, yeah, exactly. And you know, stories are still coming out of what exactly happened, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. Uh, Pureflix was very quick to be like, we're opening a writer's room. Wow. Yeah. No, it's just interesting. And I think it's something that, like, as a culture, we have to be mindful of how we approach these things and remember the humanity to it. That somebody actually went through something traumatic and we have to approach it from that angle. Yes, it's totally fine to tell their story. And, you know, you think of other things like, I'm blanking on her name right now, but she's the girl, um that soul surfer is based out out of and you know she lost her arm due to a shark attack and like like bethany something yeah yeah. but like that story was kind of told years after on her terms and i think it's just unfair to try and monetize and roll something out right away like that like it's not that there's no issue in telling the story that needs to be told because it's an inspirational story sure however it's the timing and the context in which it's told and these families the the incident is very real for them and it's very it's raw you know and that's that's like if a movie studio on september 12th 2001 was like hey we're gonna make a movie and like the dust hasn't settled like nothing has happened yet like we're still moving through this and you're not seeing the point you're too busy with oh we could make some money off of this and it just seems well and that's where kind of an interesting question comes to play here though uh i i actually forget if i mentioned this when i was explaining who he is john Chu said in his statement that he is going to adapt it and mm-hmm. so that kind of raises an interesting question and like i thought his his thoughts were very interesting yeah uh, although he doesn't directly name the other studio mm-hmm. that made their announcement they're very it's clearly pointed at them yeah but then but then he also quickly is like 
I'm going to make it. Yeah. So, and I think that's a little like it's the same thing. It's th- this shouldn't be a conversation right now. Like exactly. And I, it's it's just felt weird because that's basically what he was saying. Like you're missing the point. He was, but he, yeah, he was basically saying this shouldn't be a conversation. But did exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think this is something that'd be really interesting to hear more of our from our listeners and see if they have any feedback. So if you guys are listening on the Anchor app, you guys can send in audio responses and we can play them back in the next episode but if you have any opinions on this we'd love to hear them because i think it's just you know maybe somebody has a different point of view but i think at least daniel and i are on the same page that this isn't an appropriate conversation right now yeah wow i like didn't even know all these things were happening and basically the things that i had gotten from it were like there were some boys in a cave a diver died trying to save them but they're out now like but there were so many like playing parts to it yeah it's an insane story but you know a beautiful story of the world coming together pulling resources Mm -hmm. pulling knowledge and you know just trying to help humans in need yeah and you know it's nice to tell a happy story for once yeah and at least there was a mostly happy ending to it but i think it's these moments that bring us together as as a race you know of humanity and remembering that we're not all that different and there's more that unites us than divides us exactly well it was nice talking to you well thank you so much and we will chat next week yes looking forward to it that wraps it up for this episode of chris and co thank you so much for listening and be sure to subscribe anywhere and everywhere you listen to podcasts we're available practically everywhere podcasts are listened to so tell your friends and subscribers are how we grow our podcast we'll be back next week with a whole new episode and until then you can find us on facebook and instagram at chris and co podcast